want to do just a little introduction here, and then we're going to get into really a Q&A. There's a recorder there, but I'm not sure who to give that to, uh, because I think all three of us are going to be talking and so forth. But uh, um, I have known Rob and Laura for six, seven years, five years. Oh, at least that, yeah. You know, you know. And uh, uh, they made some uh, purposeful decisions uh, about a year ago, about a year ago, maybe a little more than a year ago. And in those decisions, um, I've had the opportunity to meet with Pastor Rob on a monthly basis now for several months, and Laura's come a few times as well. And, um, you know, they, they reached a point in their ministry where they had to make a choice really between ministry and, and their family, their marriage. Um, and I want to say to this group, you know, uh, I have a great deal of respect for them because they were willing to, to make what was probably a very difficult choice uh, because of the call of God on their life, because of wanting to fulfill that call, at the same time knowing that their lives had reached a point um, where if they continued as they were, uh, it was probably not going to end in a healthy fashion for them as a marriage, married couple and for their family. So in, in this process over the last year of journeying with them, probably about three or four months ago, I felt there was value to them being able to share their story uh, with a group like this. And uh, so uh, that led us to a couple other dialogues and so forth. So I'm going to kind of prompt this by asking a few questions and so forth. Because really, I really want them just to share their story and their heart. And um, so uh, let's open with a word of prayer and ask the Lord to just uh, kind of guide and direct everything. Father, thank you. Thank you for your, your ability to keep us and to preserve us. Thank you, Lord God, for your ability to lead and prompt us, Lord God. Today we pray that, that the story that is going to be shared can be a benefit and blessing to others here in the room, Lord God. And Father, we pray, Lord God, that you would allow what is said and done to bring honor to the kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I'd like to start with, you know, give us a little, describe your call to ministry and the ministry that you were engaged in, you know, um, before you made the decision to step away. Well, I felt called to be in ministry at a very young age. So uh, when I got saved, I got saved at the age of 22 and started youth pastoring pretty much right off the get-go at a little community church there in the town I lived, one traffic light. It was actually called a village, not a town. And uh, after that, served there for about two years. And then Pastor Tim McGinnis here planted a a New Life Church in Circleville. Um, My family started going there and became the youth pastor there and served there with Pastor Tim for six years. And that really just kind of put a a fire in my heart for church planting, reaching, reaching the lost, and, and just kind of pioneering new ways and uh, not having to deal with, well, this is how we used to do things, those kinds of conversations a lot. And so I uh, stepped down as youth pastor and for about two years just kind of prepared myself for that journey of, of, of being a senior pastor and a church plant pastor. Came through the, the process here with the, the network office, and we were launched out uh, as 360 City Mission, which was a, a church in the south end of Circleville, which was a very heavy drug, uh, poverty, uh, little neighborhood. And we had been newly married. 
Um, Laura and I were both previously divorced, and we met and uh, got married. And so within a year of our marriage, we planted a church, which was probably the craziest thing that we could have done. And not only did that, but we also moved to the neighborhood where we planted the church. We were a block away from the church, so we were very much in the proximity, which we thought was important to who we were trying to reach. We, for credibility reasons, we, wouldn't, we didn't want to live in this affluent neighborhood, and here we are coming to save you, rescue you in this area of poverty and, and, and drugs. And We just thought we needed the credibility with the people who lived there, and it definitely that, that aspect is very powerful. It, it definitely proved to be that. But on the flip side, it also... There weren't boundaries that we had with our family. Um, we we're dealing with people who didn't have boundaries in their life, obviously. And so if they couldn't reach us by phone, they would just come to our house at any hour of the night. And we were, so we were, because we were so very close. And so, um, so yeah, so we, so then after a year of being 360 City Mission, we got partnered up with the, the City Reach Church Network out of Pittsburgh and we, kind of replanted or renamed ourselves as City Reach Church Circleville. And then we continued there for four more years. So we were church plant pastors for a total of five years uh, before we had stepped down. Yeah. And Laura, what was your add or take away from that concept of the call of the ministry you were engaged in? Um, I would say, I would add that um, I had an independent feeling of a call to myself to do some level of serving to this particular community, um, this this type of community, and so I, it wasn't just all um, one a one sided call. Like I felt an independent um, call, but I was <clears throat> I had been saved about two years when we planted the church. So I was still, looking back on it, I was still probably unpacking what that call actually was. Um, but, you know, being that God had brought us together, it kind of, you know, took on a, a life of its own. And that's kind of part of what, you know, we have to talk about is, like, you know, the call versus your call. <laughs> you know, like, you know, making sure that you know exactly um, what it is that God would have you to do, because it's very easy to get caught up in, you know, God God told me to do this, and, and I believe that he did. It's just, you know, we um, perhaps lack some of the guardrails that we're talking about. Sure, sure. So, newly married, uh, newly saved, mm-hmm. uh, planting a church in what we would consider a uh, an urban community, which has a, a, probably an exponential increase in a lot of the challenges that, that our world faces today. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, uh, and then describe the dynamics uh, that caused you to make the choice. Uh, what led up to you saying, we can't continue like this? To have to make a choice between a ministry that you felt called to, that you birthed, you know, it was your baby, you know. Uh, describe some of the dynamics. Uh, I'll call them warning signs, you know, that said, hey, we, we just can't continue this path. He's looking at you like... No, you I'm just, no, I'm just... just it's, there's, oh, gosh, because, you know, it's it's hard to say, like, sometimes... It's like, what how much a, time do we... Have? Yeah, like, what a warning sign... <laughs> Um, you know, it kind of had to be taken in the totality of everything that we were just talking about. Um, 
and starting to decide what was hard because nobody ever said ministry was going to be easy and reaching the lost and the very lost um, is always going to be very challenging. So I would say in the beginning, we were kind of thinking that, you know, perseverance was the answer and this just, you know, like... um, maybe even sometimes struggling with guilt, feeling like, oh, you know, this is just a lack of faith and it's never going to be easy. And, you know, and so somewhere in there, though, warning signs started to come up. And um, it was just so very stressful um, on our new marriage. And we we didn't have very good boundaries with the people that we were reaching. So, and we didn't have a lot of people in our life that were intimately connected to us, encouraging us, and bringing us along. So when we started to feel as isolated as we did, that was probably my first warning sign was, um, you know, we're really in this, like, on our own, and no one's going to step in on our our behalf um, and say, you know, you guys need to take a break. Like, nobody's going to do that. Um, we were involved in a network um, that, I mean, we were starting to have a lot of inner turmoil in our marriage, and the, our leadership was definitely aware of that, <clears throat> met with us on numerous occasions to talk us through it, but at times it felt like we were just being rehabbed and put back out on the street, like, you know, we have to pull them up, give them a good talk, and just send them back out, and then, you know, we'd end up back in the same spot, and so we were cycling, and I think for me that was the, the biggest warning sign is we were cycling. And cycling without seeing any change or any right. improvement. Right. And if anything, the change being it was getting a little bit not worse each okay. time, not better. Okay. Yeah, I think there was just some realities of we, I had had two children from the previous marriage. And so, you know, we were not only a newly married couple who came from a divorce, two divorced people, which obviously there's reasons you get a divorce. So there's, there's hurt in your life that uh, still needed to be processed through, feelings that needed to be felt. Sometimes we don't want to do that. We just want, to, and I, that's, I guess I could speak probably more for myself. Um, ministry for me kind of became, I thought it would be my healing. It's not. Jesus is our healer. Ministry is never meant to be your healer. And so there were some unhealthy codependencies that I think that I had with the congregation and the congregation had with me. As I like to be needed, and they needed to be needed. Uh, And so we were only trying to establish this marriage. We're trying to establish this step family, which is a whole... I use the word monster. I shouldn't. It can be a monster of its own. It, it can be difficult. It's challenging. Let's just put it that way. It's challenging. Uh, so two divorced people bringing, carrying their suitcases of past hurt into this. Two children, 10 and 14 at the time. Um, a church full of hurt people who you can't put into leadership because you don't even know if they're high still when they're coming. You can let them be a greeter or scoop ice cream in an outreach. That's about as far as you can go with it. And so you have a challenge getting people to come to your church because they don't like the fact that you are reaching so many drug people that are using drugs, which can upset you as a pastor. Because who are we going after, right? The lost. And so 
it was just a whirlwind of, of kind of all those things that I think, um, and, and, and Laura was very good at pointing those things out at the time. I wasn't very good at receiving that. And, and especially the areas of just my need to be needed and just this unhealthy relationship that I think I had with the people and obviously in many respects the people had with me. And, and I think that you know the decision was just that for true healing to come so that whatever God has in store, there has to be a tough decision to be made. Because it was just hard to want different results, but change nothing, which is the definition of insanity. And, and we were in that insanity for a few years. We, want, we desperately wanted different results. And we would make little changes here and there, but they just never were. Because Sunday's coming, right? Mm-hmm. Sunday's coming. Somebody's always got something that's hurting going on in their life. This catastrophe, this problem. That's always there. I was still working full-time. So we were doing this with me working a full-time job as well. So I was going 50 hours a week at my job, putting on my pastor hat on my drive home from work, and spending just about every evening meeting with people, preparing sermons, meeting with my leadership, planning outreaches, that kind of stuff, um, holding prayer meetings. So we had gotten very disconnected. And we were doing everything by ourselves, so that was the the challenge. Um, we would have, I mean, we had a handful, a literal handful of leadership, but they have their lives and their texts to the nines, and we're all doing, like, ten different jobs. And, but they, you know, could come and go, and we were still there. Like, we, I mean, it was a, it was a, a burden that we carried knowing that we were always going to be the ones that kept the ball moving forward and you know as you know as a wife I mean and I didn't see myself as the pastor I didn't want to see myself as the pastor I never wanted to call myself a pastor but I wanted to you know be supportive and be a, a leader in the ministry to the extent that I could but it wasn't really the amount of time that was bothering me most of the time. It was the heart. It was the idea that the people and the ministry was so much more important than our marriage. You know, as a wife, that started to wound me to, like, my deepest um, core. And that would have been, probably for me, one of the points of no return. Um, like when I realized no matter what I said or did, what they said or did was going to be more important than what I, and again, it wasn't the time per se. It was, it was the heart. They, they shared more of his heart than I did, or at least that's how it felt at the time. And I want to make sure that we're hearing you correctly. And again, you know, we've dialogued a little bit about Mm -hmm. this over the past year. Basically you felt the church was more important to Rob Mm -hmm. than you were. Right. And, and so when they would, they let's say they gave him a compliment, man, he would be really high. You could compliment him on something, and it was like... Definitely not as, as important. Yeah. And at some point, you know, you just don't feel like complimenting. I mean, right. I'll be honest, right. you don't feel like complimenting anymore. I, I mean, if we're talking about an evolution over five years, by the fifth year, if you will, I was pretty, you know, bitter toward the, the church as a whole. I mean, I was doing what I needed to do. I was, at that point, the children's pastor and had been for probably at least two years. And so I was doing things for the church, but I did not 
have a heart right. for the church. I was just doing it because sure. it needed right. to be done. And I would want to just say that even during this this last session uh, season, when they were contemplating stepping away and so forth, it wasn't like they got up one Sunday and said, we quit. That was even a several-month journey with leaders, with other people in your lives, to what do we do, you know, and so forth. And uh, if I remember correctly, uh, you took a short sabbatical, and I say short, and it, you took a few, uh, a few weeks or a couple months away, and part of that was a reflection time to, to say, what do we do here? So I would want you to know that it wasn't like they came to any decision quickly. There was processing going on here, and, and it, so it really changed. But you did end up stepping away from uh, City Reach Church, uh, and uh, uh, what what have you been doing the last year? How's the last year looked for Rob and Laura? Um, and uh, then we'll get into some of the guardrails. But what's your week look like now? You're still working full time. You're working full time. Um, you know, but but where do you worship at? Uh, how engaged are you in worship? What what does recreation look like? How does your time with one another look? What what have you been doing the last year or about the last year since you stepped away from ministry? Well, one of the first things that we did was we, we, we just made the decision that we really wanted a fresh start with one another that we feel like our marriage really didn't get. And so we moved from Circleville to Columbus. And once we moved to Columbus, well, Laura had also gotten a job in Columbus, so there was some, some other benefits with that as well. Her drive was about an hour each way, so we, we moved to Columbus, so her drive was a lot less. And um, we wanted marriage enrichment stuff. And so I just started looking on the Internet, and we had found through Vineyard Columbus Church, uh, they have a, a marriage and family department. And so we kind of met with one of their marriage counselors and shared our story and, and began to go through some of the steps that they have, which is, our first one was called uh, Journey to Oneness, which kind of taught us a lot of good tools for marriage that we never had. And we became a part of the small group of one of the marriage counselors there, the guy who we initially met. And we've been attending there the last year as well. So it's been good to just kind of be at a church where nobody, kind of like cheers, where nobody knows your name. And you can just go in and you can sit down together. We hadn't sat in church together for five years. So it was felt good to sit together, to worship together. Um, and then also we one of the next steps was a marriage mentor couple, which was a couple in, in probably their 68. They're about 68 years old. Oh, young, young. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's been a, just a true blessing. Just a great couple. They, they had both come from a divorce background as well, so they got it. They understood. They dealt with step family matters. And so, um, so we'd go to their house, and we'd meet for an hour once a month. We did that for about six months. And then Laura has also continued that relationship on there, actually in Florida. Now they're both retired. And so that, that was really good. So that's, that's kind of the steps we took uh, for our marriage. For myself, personally, I, I just really dove into spiritual formation stuff as much as I could. I, I, I just... I read and just anything that had to deal with, well, just basically healing in general and spiritual formation. Some of those practices that I don't think that we probably do enough of to keep balance and to um, that those spiritual disciplines. I know it's like in the church we hate that word discipline, but without it, there's nothing of lasting value that you can get in any of life. We admire athletes who discipline themselves and 
but when we take discipline in the church, oh, that, that's too legalistic. And it's and, um, so I really just dove into that personally, uh, myself, just for my own healing of just trying to put some things in place for myself to when God would use me again, that I have uh, a healthier rhythm in my own in my own life that I didn't have before. And I think we've tried to do that together as well. More how would you describe the last year as far as the how? What have you been doing the last year that? Um, well, going to Vineyard Columbus has been um, amazing for me because I had only been newly saved, so I only had a couple church experiences up until this point. And um, coming from this very small church that we were in, I was immediately uh, behind this idea that we could walk into this really big church and nobody had any expectations of us whatsoever. Um, you know, they just... You want to put on the invisibility book. I mean, we have it. And, but yet, you know, um, but we're in, a, we're in a small group and, and that's one of the things that's changed for me and one of the things that I was looking for. I go, We go to a church right now that is thousands times bigger than we were at, but I have personally more personal connections in my big church than I ever had in my small church. Um, I didn't have the same feelings, like the same validation or what have you. Um, I felt very lonely and very isolated in the church because we only had a handful of leaders who I would put in the mature category, and they were carrying ministry duties and life duties in. Um, they had maybe been my friends before we got into ministry together, but after, it's like we didn't have time to be friends anymore, and um, the people, the rest of the people in the church, because I wasn't working for a period of time, they just weren't people you could really share your life with. I mean, they're coming to you with their burdens, and they're in a completely different state of mind than you are, and, and there's just nobody to talk to. I mean, I just, you know, didn't have any friends. Right. I had no, I had no sense of community and I wasn't working outside of the home. So my world was really, really small. So we have a small group and we have other, um, we, other friends that we've made our mentor couple and, you know, they've introduced us to other people. And, um, so for me, one of the things that changed was just really go- going to church to, go to church because for five years I didn't feel like I actually attended church. I felt like I worked at church, which is really different. Um, so it was the opportunity to go to church, to sit next to my husband, to have a sense of community, to be in a small group and just be a participant. Sure. Like, I mean, I mean, we serve, we're great. We're like ushers. We pass the offering bag and it's so nice because we feel useful. Sure. We're serving and nobody's depending on us to turn on the lights, you know? And so during this season, that's just exactly what I needed because I needed to feel like, like I belong and I matter to God and I just, I wasn't feeling that anymore. And so, um, the other thing I would say is I tried to be the counterpart to learning that sometimes you just can just be, you know, you don't have to be doing some huge fundamentally large act all the time. Um, sometimes you can just be, and that's okay too, to spend time just getting to know each other and just 
re kind of discover what we like and what we don't like and how do we like to spend our free time. I mean, at first we weren't even really sure. I'm shaking up how things look. We go to church on Saturday night and have our Sundays like a true Sabbath. I mean, that was a really revolutionary concept. And it took us, I mean, in it was different. And then we realized we liked it. So kind of just shaking things up sure. a little bit. And what are some of the guardrails that you've begun to put in place um, during this year that you knew were missing the previous five years? You mentioned worshiping together. Uh, you mentioned the Sabbath. Uh, sounds like you're carving out some time for each other. Uh, you know, what what would you say are some of the guardrails that you've tried to construct over this year that uh, weren't in place before? Well, I think one of them that I already mentioned is, and that's just having, and, and where Pastor John and I have had our times together. I, when I stepped down, I asked Pastor John to meet with me for the, a, a year. I'd like for it to be longer. <laughs> just so I could say, so I could sh- share some real things that I was thinking, feeling. Because honestly, sometimes as pastor, it's a lonely place because even with those that you're leading with, you can't do that. I tried sometimes with some of my leaders, and it didn't go well. Um, and so I felt like I needed that in my life, and that's why I asked Pastor John if he kind of would be that man in my life who I could just be real with. And so I think for me, for the guardrails, is just identifying, asking God, God, what, what are those things, what are those areas in me that need to be shored up? Where, where are those areas of personal weakness, of, as I've already mentioned, the kind of codependency, the need to be needed, the, um, the affirmation? Um, God, sure that up in me. And, and have people ask me the hard questions that will bring things out of me that maybe I'm, I've tried to kind of bury uh, and suppress. And so that's, you know, that's what I've kind of asked Pastor John to do when we have our, our monthly meeting, is just ask me those questions. Um, See where my wife and I are at. How am I doing as a husband? How is my personal time with God? Um, has God rebuilt anything new to me, of, of just an area where of growth? Not that He's going to con- bring condemnation on me, but just so that I can grow from this and become a, a better man, a better leader. Um, and so for me, I think that was that's probably one of the, the biggest guardrails um, is that, is, is just just seeking God as to what, what is it in me? And, and then sharing that with my wife. I think there was a, a lack of vulnerability that I had with my wife even. And for us to have real conversations and for, to, for me to appreciate her input more, we had gotten to a place where once you're in that, that kind of that, that place where it's abrasive, it's hard to hear one another openly because you're already, you kind of got your shield up. You've kind of already got some defense mechanisms because You've been in some battle, some verbal battles and things have been said. You're kind of wounded a little bit. And so you don't really honor their words as much. And and I've gotten to that place. And so it's for me, it's just honoring my wife's words more, listening to her more, taking what she's saying is believing that it's from God and just her discernment. Um, and then just us having some real dialogue as well, that, that, that we, we definitely had lost that. Um, our conversations were not deep by any level <laughs> were mainly focused around people from the church and what was going on in their lives and that was a great diversion of what was having actually happening in our life and so the conversations that took place in, about our life 
were abrasive. They weren't uplifting. They weren't encouraging. Um, and so I think it was just a, a renewal of that, of, this, of just, God, what is it in me? Where are these areas that I'm looking to others instead of you? And then the connectedness with my, with my wife and I is, so we can have conversations that are, are much more deep uh, and non-abrasive. How would you respond to what guardrails do you feel like you're working on to, to shore up your, your marriage, your life, and so forth? Um, definitely working um, first and foremost on, communi- on the communication, which is an ongoing growth in all marriages. But, um, you know, going forward, because I know that this is just a, a pause button that we hit, um, particularly for Rob's call to ministry. And I say that because I think one thing I learned about myself, back to what I was saying about what did God really say, you know, serving people is definitely in my heart and serving children is definitely in my heart. But I don't really think I had actually honed in on what that looked like. It just kind of got defined for me by virtue of a church plant and all hands on deck. So one of the things that I I know I need to do is is be sure to be listening to God about what my service to Him looks like, not what the circumstances put on me. And when you're always willing to help, like I, I am, I'm just willing to help, whatever you need, that can you know morph into something else. So I'm kind of also learning to maybe think a couple steps ahead and not be so impulsive as to what I say yes to. Um, I mean, I don't want to be totally gun-shy, but at the same time, I don't want to get into a situation I can't get out of. And learning going forward, because this is just a pause button, and I believe that Rob will return, you know, to, you know, ministry as, you know, a pastor or some kind of pastor in the future, um, what my role is and what I want my role to be. And, And so I know that I want, that my role is to solely be his wife a pastor's wife, not the pastor's wife, which is a job unto itself. I just, I want to be that counterpoint to him, and I and I can't be that if I'm integrated into the madness of the, you know, just whatever's going on in the day-to-day. I can't be the voice of reason because I'm also a part of it. And, and so knowing that and, and knowing that we approach whatever comes down the path um, with that in mind, like, okay, there's an opportunity for you. What will they expect of me? Like, that's going to be a very important sure, question sure. for me, knowing what questions to ask. Like, exactly. Because I don't want to have to be the women's ministry leader and the children. I, You know, knowing we had talked about that before we went into the church plant, defining my role, or it gets defined for you. Rob had heard that somewhere, and it's so true, and it wasn't done, and it did get defined for me. So knowing for me going forward that I'm, without being a control freak and letting God do what he wants to do, I still want to be in control to define my role and my ministry is not the same as his. I'm not a pastor. I don't have the heart of a pastor. And I have a heart to serve, and that's different, but it gets confused. Sure. It gets confusing sometimes. So being able to approach whatever comes, because I know things are going to come uh, with that, in mind, because this year has taught me that. This year has taught me what I want um, where I see myself fitting into the kingdom, at least initially. Um, so, 
Sure. So uh, over the last year, um, having stepped away from ministry, uh, you know, you've been able to uh, focus on spiritual formation. You've been able to focus on um, marriage communication, connecting, reconnecting with one another, uh, and it's given you an ability to step back and, and basically, you know, kind of ask the question, you know. You know, what did you call me to do? You know, there's a call here. I accept that. But instead of being forced into the mold that somebody else is imposing on you, it's caused you to step back and be able to answer that. Now, I want to just uh, go a little farther here. When when you think about those things and maybe some others, um, and, um, um, you know, fast forward the clock two years, you're back in ministry. You're you're back in the throes of of ministry, and maybe not urban. You know, maybe not you know uh, uh, that type of setting. But you're still back in ministry, and people are calling needs, pressing, um, and so forth. You know, how do you see yourself taking some of the tools, resources that you're learning right now? and making them strong enough that they truly will be guardrails for you, that you really can stay connected with one another. I know you're getting ready to adopt, uh, and that's awesome. Congratulations. Uh, you know, value that family. And at the same time, feel like, you know, I, I am being obedient to the call. I, you know, I, I use the word balance, and sometimes people don't like that word, but I think that's what we're talking and how do we balance that? What do you feel you've learned over the last year, or are learning? And I don't know that we've any arrived there, uh, but you feel like, hey, moving forward, this is what spiritual formation is probably going to look like. This is what connectivity is going to look like. What do you think that's going to look like moving forward? Rob's first response is, I don't think that was on the sheet again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that I think that one of the questions there, at least in regards to folks who will come with needs, is my role is just to just try to point people to to Jesus in a way where they realize that he is all they need. I'm not a problem solver. I'm not a, um, I'm not a counselor. Um, I, I just want to, I want to coach you into how you look to Jesus the same way I have to look to Jesus, the way that we all have to look to Jesus and, and, and not, once again, it comes from the, where I was at before and believing that, you know, I love helping people. I love encouraging people. It's definitely, it's one of my, it's an area that God has put in me. But I have to balance that to the fact of realizing I'm no one's savior. Um, and I, I don't want to do anybody else's heavy lifting. We have to do our own heavy lifting. And, and that's what we do with God, just between us and God. We have others who come along. You know, when I, I used to work out a lot. You have a bench press. You, got, you have a spotter. That's somebody who's there, but he's not lifting the bar for you unless you get to a place where you absolutely can't get the bar off. But we don't let people get to the place where they can't get the bar off. We're ready to take the bar form, and they haven't even started to struggle yet. They think they're struggling, 
but they're not. And I think from looking back, that's a lot of what I did. I, I was on the bench press instead of being their spotter. And, and that's, that was a lot of just my own insecurities, my own things that God needed to share up in my own life. And so for me, that's just one of, the, that's just one of those areas. It's just knowing, knowing my role when I do return into ministry and, and, and the things that God has shown me over this last year, some of the, also some of the training that I've gotten for myself as well. Um, I don't know if that answered your question sure, or not. Sure. So. Or what do you feel are some guardrails that you're learning and how are those going to become rigid enough that they can really protect you futuristically, um, marriage-wise, ministry-wise? Well, kind of what I just mentioned about, like, in terms of my my role, and because I know that if I'm if I'm free to be, you know, the wife, woman, and mother that I want to be, and not be being put into this other these other areas, then I hopefully can be the guardrail and hopefully at this point we will have had enough healing and enough time and enough trust developed that I can say to him and be the voice of reason, like, this is out of hand or, like, this is not working or whatever the case may be, that um, I can I can be that, that you know, balancing um, voice and and to just really be mindful from the get go of boundaries. That's just so important because when you give it up, you cannot take it back. If there is one thing I learned with people and working with people, you there's no dialing it back. You just you just can't. So knowing those things, but how accessible is he going to be? Like, and not being afraid. Um, I think that's another thing is having some experience with other churches um, and other people who've gone to other churches is it's okay to say no. And somebody might get really mad and leave. Oh, well, that's not really your responsibility. That's sure. their responsibility. So being afraid to just say, we don't provide that service. Like, we're not counselors. We're not going to counsel you on your marriage. But we can point you in the direction, you know, the church can point you in the direction of a counseling ministry or something. Like, you know, the right tool for the job. And, you know, instead of feeling like we have to always say yes and or always accommodate, it's okay to say no. It's okay to say we don't do that. Um, it's okay to say this is the person that does it. And if you want it to be me, I'm sorry. This is the person that does this, and I don't go to every house. I don't make every phone call. So, I mean, it's just kind of having those types of um, those thoughts really ingrained in us, and particularly um, in Rob, that says, I can say no, and it's going to be okay. And if that person doesn't like me today, that's all right. You know, they're obviously not, I mean... We're not going to just change who we are to keep people happy. And that's kind of the quagmire we got into is is making so many concessions that later on you can't take back. You just can't. So, you know, that's where I see my guardrails. I think it's what you said about, you know, uh, know, once you move that guardrail, you, you can't take that space back because then there's an expectation not only for that person, but for others in the church as well. And that's why... And people talk. And, you know, we had one of the, you know, hardest things to do. I mean, but we did it. You know, we stepped away, and it was a lot harder for Rob than it was me. But, 
you know, and one of the reasons we moved was because we knew even if we weren't pastoring the church, people still were going to look to us to answer all of just pay for things and just do all the things that we had been doing. And, you know, people text me and I just, I just didn't respond, you know, because I had to put up that, that barrier. And, um, you know, so kind of learning, like, this is how accessible we're going to be, or this is what our, and kind of carving that out for us, for ourselves, you know, on the front end, and then being really sure so that when, because it'll get hard, I know it will, like, it'll be tempting, because, you know, as Rob has told me many times, when you have a pastor's heart, um, it's hard to not feel like you have to have all the answers. And um, so, you know, I feel like, you know, we have to be really, really strong about that going in. But Rob, you you said it in regards to the bench press and so forth. And, you know, um, I think sometimes as pastors, particularly if you're leaning to more of the pastoral gifting, uh, that care part, um, we almost can develop like like a messiah complex. You know, like we're the ones that died for these people, or we're willing to die for these people. And Jesus is the only one that shed His blood for this this group. And I mean, that doesn't mean we don't care. That doesn't mean we don't minister. But I can't save them. And we can't save them. And at some point, they do have to make a purposeful decision that says, you know, they are going to do some of their own lifting. And uh, that's that's a challenge sometimes when you have that pastor's heart. You know, there's some guys that don't have that heart, and they're like, "What's the big deal?" You know, <laughs> just tell them you're not available. You know, uh, but if you've got that heart, that's easier said than done. So, but uh, um, uh, any questions for Robin Moore? Have yeah. a couple questions. Yeah. Uh, did you guys, while you're pastoring, take advantage of like pastors' retreat? or anything that you could go pull yourself away and go to the <coughs> retreats. And then second part after that, uh, when you already talk about cycles, I'm the C4 church planner director, and we'll plant a lot of churches, and I see people like that, and you're saying that they came in here, punched you up, gave you a good word, and talk you about that there. What could they have done, or what could an organization done? That's a key, give you a good word, get you back out there, but that's not what you needed. How do you break that cycle? Answer the first question first. Yes, we did. We went we to pastor's retreat. Um, uh, one of the things we we really liked the one up at Kalahari. Love yeah, love, love the water rides. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> we good. did do. I mean, and we did take the pastors retreat, and we did we did take um, vacations. I mean, yeah. it's it's hard because we we were able to take some time here and there for ourselves. It's just that everything else was so demanding. It was like it followed us there. You know, it was really hard to get completely away. And for Rob, he was away but never away. Yeah, I think just like, it in was. His mind. It was just. Uh, At least in our scenario, I think some of the hurts were so deep from some of our earlier pre-even knowing each other stuff that was never dealt with. I th- Do you think that Cedar Week probably shouldn't have launched you guys earlier? They still have to wait for another year. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. What, here's one of the comments that was made to us at our very last interview, final interview, before we launched. The only thing that we're concerned about is you've only been married less than a year. So red flag. Red flag. Looking back on that, but 
I, I also say this, and I think this Pastor Wooten had made this comment to us. I remember this. That okay, that was like next to last interview. Last time with Pastor Wooten in a group, Dave and Kay Gross, and I forget who else was in the room. Pastor Wooten said, "You know, we're 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 glad to be on this journey with you." But he he looked at me and he said, "I can tell Rob, even if we weren't, you'd still do it." And that's and that was my own pride that God needed to to humble and 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 trust me, this experience has been very humbling. Um, to step down from something that you did plant that was in your heart, it's humbling. And so, uh, but there is wisdom in many counselors and should have listened. Uh, I was like at a ho- I was like the horse already in the gate when we got married. I was ready to go. And, and one other thing, yeah. So, but yes. I want, I want Laura to respond to that because we've had this conversation. Right, and that was in our very last conversation. As we were talking about that, and um, you know, what I have a I have a big concern about the vo- the high volume church planting that's going on right now because we saw this in City Reach as well. I mean, they're launching in the double digits of churches per year, and uh, we were kind of on the front end of that. We were like their sixth. And so it's only gotten more so than then. But there's not in these church planting networks. There needs to be an infrastructure that can support church health. Church health once the church is launched, because it's kind of like you're launched, and then that's it. You get all of this attention. I mean, tons of attention when you're when you're getting launched. You're the cat's meow when you're a church planter. Yeah. And it's like, who are you? Cricket after that, you know. And um, so I have a I have a big concern with the the mass um, church planting efforts going on because I feel like anybody who wants to plant a church can plant a church. And I was telling Pastor John that while Pastor Wooten said that, like you might have just done it anyway, that still doesn't mean you should say yes. If there's a red flag. It should just be a red flag. And if we do it again, if we do it anyway, that's our own folly. But, like, for, you know, I think that churches should, I mean, if there's a cycle of a couple times that some couple is coming to you, I think it's I think it's an act of great faith to say, you know what, let's take a step back. I mean, if that would be the one message I would have for people, is don't be afraid to take a step back. And, and reassess and get stronger and, and do what you need to do because ultimately the very thing that you don't want to happen, the end of the church will happen anyway. And in the meantime, you've got casualties, you've got marriages, you've got kids, you've got people who are part of the church. So to me, it's the greater wisdom to to say time out and for, for networks to have people who can step in. One of the problems we had in our phases of trying to get to the solution to this problem was asking our network for help and they didn't have anybody. Everybody wants to plant a church. Nobody wants to help a church. Nobody wants to help. Everybody wants to plant. They want it to be their own thing. And we asked for some help, like somebody to come in and just give us a reprieve and there wasn't anybody to do that. And so we stepped in for a very short sabbatical using the couple people that we did have, but that was only going to be like a eight-week solution at best. So for 
for people in your position to have, you know, to 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 make it a good thing to help out another pastor. Like, as noble a cause as planting a church. I'll get your information. You've got to be my consultant for those that are struggling. I, just, I, mean, I wish that people thought it was as noble to come in and help somebody out as they do to plant to be the church planter themselves. Yeah, we're, we're, it, it could have been a very different, I mean, who knows, I still believe we're on God's charted path for us, but, you know, if we would have had somebody who could have come in and helped us, it could have been a completely different ballgame. And a lot of the church planters don't know what they don't know. And they yeah. get out there and get big grand germans want to plant a church, and all of a sudden, reality mm-hmm. hits them, hits the family, and hits the kids, and like, what do I do? And right. the church planter network don't have the tools you know, to continue maintaining those tools. Yeah. But I would also, and, and not to, I agree with you 110%, but what we're talking about today is not just a church planter problem. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah I'm just saying it's in the instance of. So we see it right in now. In my role, uh, you know, I see guys that are have been in their church 10, 15, 20 years, pastoring a traditional church with history. And they're still facing some mm-hmm. of the same challenges that you face different different lens, you know, different setting, but their ministry is is not healthy for their marriage or their family. And and I, I agree with all that you've just said. I mean, it's not just a church planting problem. It's a ministry problem, it really is. And you were talking about availability and Earl, one of my former workers, was sitting back here, but you know, and I remember one time my wife and I, Barbara and I, went to Rice Lake in Canada. Okay, we went there with our families and her parents and all that, you know. I mean, we are totally out of reach of anybody, okay? And we rented cabins, okay? And there's this one uh, phone booth out there in the middle of these cabins, you know. It starts ringing. It's some, somebody from my church. <laughs> Number one, how do they, I mean, I can see them calling the office, you know what I'm saying? But somehow they got that phone booth number. I'm like, how is this happening? Word, you know? They had a word and of I knowledge. Was, I was thrilled to be away, you know what I'm saying? Right. To be totally disengaged. I'm like, right. they found me. <laughs> how did they find me? <laughs> they always find me. About two years ago, we went our, on our best time away. Our, be- you know, yeah. well, our best time away was the cruise we took. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. No nothing. Yep. It was heaven. It was like... <laughs> Even if they would have called, no service. You don't get right to that. Yeah, I was say, it was like two years ago, we went on our first cruise, and like the first day, we were kind of like still getting used to it. And about the second day, I'm laying there, and I'm like, what's this weird feeling? And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, we are relaxing. Yeah. Like, and nobody can communicate, nobody can come in and take it away from us. Like, you know, but... um yeah, I mean, yeah. that's horrifying. They do. They, and again, we're not speaking ill with parishioners. No, right. 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 It's the sense that this is a 24-7 thing. Yeah. Right. It's the sense of... It's a, Especially and, since these have been... Exactly. And, and if ministers yeah. and or their leaders around them don't help them put some boundaries in place, okay. it is not going to be healthy. It is not going to be healthy in because it's 24-7. And you take urban settings and or bivocational settings... And it goes, it goes to the end. Because I look, there's some bivocational guys in the room right now. And, and you put those things together, and, and it just escalates all of that. So there's somebody I think these guys back here. Earl, I'm just wondering, as pastors, do you think that sometimes the priorities get out of sync? You know, God's called us to ministry, so now 
ministry moves to the forefront instead of God being at the forefront. And then the next step would be spouse and family. And then the next step is ministry. Absolutely. It's very flipped upside down. Yes. Everything yes. is. Think, and it happens so fast. You don't... God, we put God in ministry together. We, we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And everything else is under that. But it's not. And that's, the, that, and that's why I focus on, he mentioned spiritual formation. That does need to be at the top. But that's not ministry. No. Yeah. That's not ministry. That's, that's spiritual formation. Right. And then wife, family, that's, right. and then ministry's down here. But we do, Earl. Many times we don't see any difference between, and our lay people do that too. Sometimes our lay people do that too. Sometimes, yeah, you, you know, have... one, one while you were speaking, one of the things I heard is that you were working on your personal relationships, and they were held outside. And so, once you work on that, you were released back to um, back to ministry. Um, but what what I didn't hear is. While you're working on, because it's twofold: one, your personal, and two, ministry. So you're working and you're getting information or getting help personally, but then you're going back into the same situation. So my question is, what if anything was done to help the ministry to get them to a place of help so that uh, both can be balanced? If you understand what I'm trying to say, so you're working on the ministry, your personal relationship, and whatever issues that have been causing you, you know, issues or problems within the map. Well, I think that's key. You're you're hitting it again because not only does the marital couple, pastoral couple, need to have guardrails, but those guardrails need to be in some way taught, trained into the congregation to where they begin to realize that these expectations are unrealistic, these expectations, so you're absolutely right, it's not just a matter of a ministry couple retooling some things, but at some point those have to be transferred to the ministry, and and many times what happens is because we respond to certain needs, like you said, that guardrail lowers, and that's where we've got to, yeah, we've got to make those decisions, but in training and teaching and so forth, we've got to also let, make sure the ministry begins to, the culture begins to change, or, or we're just going to cycle back through. So we're out of time. I'm sorry. Go right yeah. ahead. Um, I hear people waiting at the door. That's you know, uh, I, I lead a young adult group, and I work full-time, wife and kid. And, and so for me, you know, and obviously I don't have a whole church, but I do have a service. I lead a Sunday school. I coordinate Three, two or three life groups, and and I have a great team of people that I've built up. But like, how do you like? I, you know, for me, I'm just trying to think. I try to find ways to do all of that, but it's you know, there's only so many hours a day. You know, what does that look? Like? What's like a reasonable element of time and, and heart? And when you're bivocate, when you're already working 40 hours a week, and you're trying to give to your, I mean. There are a couple things I would share to, to that. Is it Josh? Josh. Josh. That's a, that's a real conversation that you need to have with your wife. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't tell you what that balance is. Sure. Between you and your wife and, and what you have going on with, you say you have children as well. Yep. What you have going on with your children's life, and obviously you want to be involved there. And, and um, that's a real conversation that between you and your wife, just praying together, that I think that, and I, not, not that I try, I just believe in that. Mm-hmm. That's just... I can't just give you that. Secondly, empower as many of your people you have helping you as you can. Yeah. What are those one or two things that you are really good at? 
And then everything else, you give it out. You give it away. You empower other people to go do those other things. Don't try to be all. You're not, we can't be all to everybody. And, and that's, that's where we run into problems. Trying to be all to everybody. We are not. We are just not that. We're not all that. You have a, one or two things that God is really, and Andy Stanley talks a lot about that, that you are really gifted in. That's your strength. And, 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 and your ministry is blessed by you doing that. That's the most impact. So how can I make the most impact with the least amount of my time? I operate in those one or two areas that I'm gifted at, and I give everything else away to, to people, others under me who I can empower. So that they're one or two things, and they can spend time with their family. So it's that triple, you know, that, that triple down effect, uh, a trickle down effect of, of those under you that you're modeling. Because that's the best thing you can model for those young adults that you're ministering to mm-hmm. is a healthy, balanced life. Yeah. That's that's the best thing you can give them. Loving God, loving my wife, loving my kids, and ministering and raising up others to do the same. So just I would just go in that. And I would add to that when you think about your sweet spots and then giving away some things that are not your sweet spot, you may not have at this time the people in your group to do some of those things. There may be some things that just don't get done. Absolutely. And that's okay. (laughs) You understand what I'm saying? You know, so many times we think, well, I'll, I'll keep that going, I'll pick that up. There's some things that probably need to fall in the floor. Because it's not worth your family, it's not worth your marriage to to think you've got to keep that. Just because you don't have somebody else that can do it, right. there might be some things that say, hey, I'm sorry, we can't do that right now. Mm-hmm. And, and that's that's hard. And it's particularly hard when you're planning a church yeah. because you got that family coming in that wants that. And do you have this? Do you have this? Absolutely. And so you've got to, well, if we had this, maybe they would stay. Or maybe, you know, <laughs> so you, you, you feel that pressure to try to become all things all man. You can, you can. And uh, so you just can't do it. So but thanks again. God bless. Thank you, Robin. Lord. Appreciate it so much.